welcome to our third Little Breakfast. This is our third episode, um, and we started this up in the midst of this pandemic, and we've been exploring what that really looks like at the moment. And uh, I'm pleased to say that I have uh, Dave Richards with me for this episode. Hi, Dave. Hi, Clive. Good to be with you. Yeah, Dave, you're at P's and G's in Edinburgh. What is your title these days? I can't quite keep up. Uh, I get called lots of things, but the official title is rector, or that, so that's the Episcopal Anglican equivalent of senior pastor. Okay, well, okay, that's helpful to know. So are you not um, canon and something? Oh, well, yeah, or? well, yes, if we're going down that route. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm Reverend Canon. Uh, I'm an honorary canon of St. Mary's Episcopal Cathedral in edinburgh it's a bit like a long service award it's left last man standing <laughs> i guess that's what it is. all these things are helpful you see puts it into context for people who who are actually talking to but at the end of the day we're all made of the same stuff aren't we so i hope so uh, <laughs> so today i want to uh, just chat with you a bit about this unusual situation that we find ourselves in and think particularly about uh, what God might be saying to the church as a whole and I thought it'd be quite helpful for us to think about that in a couple of areas but the first area that I was thinking about discussing was um, really I suppose in many ways I think you maybe similarly do this as well I tend to think about things about where we've been and where we are and where we're going and I just wondered what were your thoughts in terms of spiritual health in terms of where we've been as a church, um, maybe particularly in Scotland or in the UK, and where do you think we are now in the midst of this crisis? Where might we be going with that? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's probably uh, too early to say in some degree, because we're only uh, four or five weeks into the current phase of the pandemic crisis. Um, but I've been reflecting over the last few weeks um, I remember a, a talk from Patrick Lencioni um, and his book, The Advantage. And uh, in that particular book, he was talking about one of the things that provides focus to a team or an organization or a company or a charity or indeed a church is to create an artificial crisis. And uh, what that does is it makes everyone... Um, reevaluate what is really important and what is vital and what is business or mission critical and if you create these artificial crises in Lencioni's uh, understanding um, that yeah. focuses people's energies and lots of the things that people think are important which are secondary um, just fall by the wayside because people become focused on what really matters and what's really important and I think what we've seen over the last four or five weeks, um, in my observation of the church, and indeed, if we're honest, of society, is a rethinking of what really matters and what is really important. So the things that are trivial, and I know this will be hard for you to hear, Clive, but you know things like who wins the premiership in England, um, <laughs> though, those things are trivial um, compared with life and death issues. Um, the, the, the monetary value that we put upon different occupations and upon different jobs, different roles in society, um, you know, a cleaner, a bus driver, a nurse, um, a medical orderly, um, so all of a sudden you see 
people going out on Thursday evenings at eight o'clock and applauding key workers, many of whom, and there is this sort of paradox of we have whatever part, you know, political uh, angle you're coming from, the reality is that we have uh, a party in power in the UK who voted against pay rises for the same people that they are now lauding as vital key workers. Um, you have a prime minister who owes his life to two immigrant uh, nurses, um, one from Portugal and one from New Zealand, who, who sat up with him and waited with him in the middle of the night and made the necessary medical interventions uh, required to save his life. So all of a sudden, people's perspective is, is sharpened and focused in quite a radical way, um, while at the same time, people are going through a grief reaction, uh, a grief for, for the, what they regard as normal, uh, that isn't happening anymore. Um, and in the midst Ooh. of all this turmoil sits the church. And the church in Scotland, I think, has been given uh, a wake-up call. Um, and I think it was already undergoing um, the first signs of this over the last 10 or 20 years with the impact of secularization and um, the falling away of, of attendance at traditional denominations across the board of, of whatever uh, color they, they came in. Um, but now what, what's, put, what, what's pushed into focus is what is mission critical? What absolutely matters? What is vital? And all of a sudden, we're having to rethink who we are as the church, how we relate to society. Um, we, and, and again, I speak as somebody who, who led a £7 million building project. Um, buildings don't matter. Buildings aren't important. Because now we're having to meet as the church without any buildings. Mm. And we're having to rethink how we do church. We're having to rethink what really matters. And so I think it's a huge... Um, opportunity you know I, I did get sick in the first few weeks of that uh, bit of useless trivial information being shared that uh, the word for opportunity and challenge um, in, in Chinese was the same word um, but I think it, it's true um, so we have an opportunity but we also have a challenge mm. to rethink yeah. who we are as the church as society itself has an opportunity to rethink who society is yeah. um, okay that, that's really interesting I, I, I think it's a really helpful backdrop to what's going on culturally and some of the paradoxes that are there um, I think one, one word you mentioned there which I want to pick up on is grief and I think that's a really interesting word to use at this time because of course grief is not just about when somebody dies. It's when we lose something, isn't it? It's when uh, we grieve a change of something that maybe we're not in control of. And I, I think in terms of just jumping in on, on and, and I agree with what you're saying there, uh, but jumping in on, on this, this idea of grief, in terms of spiritual health, as far as the church in Scotland is concerned, I think probably certainly in the West, if not globally, I've sensed for nearly a year now that God is looking to humble us 
in a way that is gracious and loving and kind by reminding us of what you're talking about there, what, what matters most. And when we think of 2 Chronicles 7, when it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. And I think this, we can have that as a bumper sticker that you can shove on the back of your car or, or fridge magnet Bible verse as if, yeah, that's a really nice thing. But I think there is a really sort of changing process going on. I know this in my own life, um, that I've had this aching and longing and almost this inability to do things in my own strength without throwing myself on the Lord. And that's, that's not some super spiritual thing. That, that has been a painful thing as the Lord has worked on my pride, as he's humbled me and shown me that, that he is the most important thing, that depending on him in prayer is so important. And, and I, just, I just think personally, as we're seeing this happening, which none of us really knew to this extent, um, that there is this this change and there is this process happening and there is this grieving uh, and aching that I think we need to turn to the Lord and we need to seek His face. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I think I'd uh, I think I'd want to avoid a simplistic, um, you know, direct correlation. I mean, I heard you know, one speaker. A preacher, his sermon had been taken down by Google because he was uh, preaching from Joel um, and very much saying, you know, COVID-19 is from the Lord. All things are from the Lord. Um, and therefore, mm. we should thank God for COVID-19. And it was judgment upon um, uh, the world uh, that this pandemic had been released. I, I don't want to make that sort of direct correlation between the two. But I think it's interesting that we were already going through a time of remarkable change and a sort of recalibration of society, um, whether it was, you know, Brexit, whether it was the independence vote in Scotland, uh, whether it uh, is the, you know, the election of Donald Trump, etc. Um, following the 2008 economic crash, um, now, none of these things, I believe, you know, are sent from God, are directly from God. Um, but God is able to use these global events to shape and form the way in which he relates to humanity and humanity relates to him and thinks about him, uh, who God is. Um, I found it interesting that the two books that were written in the last 18 months by a, a, an Australian a church leader called Mark Sayers called Disappearing and Then Reappearing Church. And it's his contention that if you look back through history, then um, whether it was the 18th or 19th century, whether it was earlier than that, God would often use times like the ones we were living through. And I say we're living through because I think we're now living through, although it's only five or six weeks, we are living through a different period of history. You know, I haven't heard the word Brexit mentioned in the news in the last five weeks. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was all we talked about. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's interesting in terms of is, 
God using events in society, using events in the world, which he has always done throughout yeah. the history of humanity, in order to, certainly Mark Sayers would want to contend, to first of all bring the church to repentance, mm. to then bring the church to renewal, and then prepare the church through that repentance and renewal for a time of revival. Um, now, I'm not saying, again, you know, some people have very quickly jumped um, and said, oh, you know, the fact that a certain church um, gets, you know, so many thousand views of their online services means that we are now in a time of revival. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, but what I think is interesting is that was God and is God taking people through a period of repentance beginning with the church mm. which then prepares the church for a process of renewal which then prepares the church and society for a revival and i, I think it's interesting that at a time when people are rethinking what really matters and what is really important with the Christian faith, one of our spiritual disciplines is supposed to be um, isolation, solitude, mm. um, and that we're supposed to be people who are used to uh, what the early church fathers called fruitful isolation, that it's actually in drawing aside and being alone with ourselves and alone with God that we, we learn who we really are and who God is and, again, what really matters. Yeah. Well, isn't it fascinating that at the same time, people who have more time on their hands, albeit if they're not homeschooling their kids, um, they have more time on their hands than perhaps ever before. There is an opportunity for people, if they will take it, to ask deeper questions about what really matters, about is there a God? They're being faced with their own mortality in a way that they probably haven't before. Um, yeah. You know, HDB well, is starting a... Uh, HTB yeah. is starting two alpha courses a week because they're, they're seeing a, a, an uptake in a way that they have never seen before in the previous 25 years. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think, let me pick you up on the point about the church and you were talking about isolation and obviously being alone with God as being an important discipline. The thinking I was I had around that was in terms of spiritual health and growth is to some degree, you know, you're absolutely right about the need for repentance. And often people are equating repentance with, you know, they've gone off on a, you know, had a bit of a bender in the weekend and they've got to repent or whatever, but this, to what extent, you know, as my friend Ellis Potter talks about, you know, has the, the world become the salt and light of the church rather than the church becoming the sort of light of the world. And there's a sense in which, I guess, as leaders and as members of churches and followers of Jesus, we have to repent of maybe sometimes our understanding of growth, maybe being too numerical. You were talking about, you know, whether how many hits we get on sites or whatever like that. And, and more about, okay, well, what is actually God doing in us? A bit like in John 15 with the gardener who prunes the vine. And you know, are we actually being fruitful? 
are we interested in being fruitful or is it just about being successful? And I think you you were very honest there and admitting about you know the expenditure of a building and, and how you're actually not using the building. I wonder whether you can unpack any thoughts you've got on that or are you agreeing or disagreeing with me on that? I mean, how do we measure growth that we've already been going through and you've already touched on what God might be doing in changing us and transforming us? Is there any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think it's... I think it's both and not either or so do buildings matter yes they do because normally it enables us to operate in the Keep way out that of we the do. rain in scotland yeah in, in the way that we do is <laughs> it, 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 it as churches and certainly in scotland we could not do without our buildings uh, given the climate um and the reality was the first week just before the, the total lockdown came uh, we were able to live stream our Sunday service and we reckon 80, 85% of the, the infrastructure and the software, the cameras, the computers, uh, the Wi-Fi, the broadband, the technology was already in our building. Um, now, we, we only were able to use it on one Sunday, um, but have, have been able to readjust and... and um, and, and offer an online experience on a Sunday uh, from different people's homes, which has been pre-recorded. Um, and the staff and the team have done an amazing job in in adjusting incredibly quickly. Um, so buildings do matter, um, and we 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 were again being being honest. We uh, somebody uh, a person in P's and G's. Um, had a contact uh, with a BBC journalist. They were looking for good news stories, um, and they featured the fact that our our Sunday online services um, are getting just over eight thousand views. Now, normally on a Sunday, um, although there's about a thousand people who call P's and G's home, there would be about six or seven hundred people in the building on any given Sunday. Um, so we are reaching over eight, ten times the numbers of people that we do. Now, that doesn't equate to us becoming a church of 8,000 people. Um, you know, we're, we're not Scotland's first mega church. We're under no illusions about that. Um, what Facebook say is that the number of views equals the number of people that you're reaching, um, and they can track how long people uh, stay on that view if it's longer than three seconds as long as I'm not preaching um, then they will they will stay for longer than three seconds um, but it's meant that we've changed how we do Sundays I uh, preach uh, for a lot shorter I think my longest talk during the lockdown has been 11 minutes uh, normally I preach for 25-30 minutes um, it's, a, it's a different way of communicating I'm talking to people in their living rooms I'm talking mostly to an audience of one or two who are sitting there maybe in their PJs with a cup of coffee um, it's very different um, but the, the, I think the mistake is what we saw was it was picked up it got the, on the BBC website um, both in Scotland and then on the UK and our, again, our online services are being watched because we're, we're having emails from people in Japan, uh, in Tanzania, in Kenya, in Uganda, in Canada, in America, in France, in Germany. Um, people are watching our online services from around the world. Now, there was initially, again, a, a pushback from some people 
who would want to say, oh, well, that's just a, a sort of amplification of the megachurch model. And it's all about numerical growth. And this is an invalid form of mission. And it's just consumer Christianity. And it's all about the local. It's all about the incarnational. It's all about social transformation. It's all about social justice. And I think that's a false dichotomy. I'd want to say what we're talking about here is both and. It's not either or. It's not either you do a snazzy online service that gets 8,000 followers or viewers, or you do local incarnational uh, service ministry with food banks uh, where you feed people who are homeless, and both of which we do. Um, mm. But it's both and. One without the other is actually, um, well, it, uh, I remember, golly, 50, 60 years ago, David Watson who was very influential on me becoming a Christian when he was at St. Michael the Belfry in his book, Discipleship. He speaks about evangelism and social action as being like, like two halves of a pair of scissors. Uh, one without yeah. the other, it loses its cutting edge. And evangelism, I think, without social justice and social transformation is only partly effective. And likewise, social justice and social transformation without a verbal proclamation of the gospel is only partly effective. You need both. And in, in the same way, I would want to say that you want to do as good an online experience as you can. It doesn't have to be snazzy. It has to be authentic. It has to be real. It has to be authentic and, and who you are. But then at the same time, thinking as local churches, how do we uh, serve our city? How do we serve our community? How do we serve where God has placed us while at the same time recognizing that there are opportunities that we did not have before. Um, mm. And that has to change. So, for example, um, you know, I expected that we would be um, inundated uh, with requests for help. I expected that we would be inundated uh, with requests from local government, from social services. You know, can you help in these particular areas? Um, the reality is, you know, we've signed up to um, this fantastic initiative called YourNeighbor.org, where over a thousand churches across the UK um, have signed up to say, we are here for our local communities. We want to help. We want to offer support. We want to offer encouragement. We want to offer practical ministry, whether it's uh, going shopping for people, whether it's providing meals, uh, all sorts of ways in which we can help. A call centre has been set up in London, um, bringing together Oasis um, and Hillsong, which again wouldn't normally be natural bedfellows with each other uh, theologically. Um, but I would yeah. say that within the first week, the take-up hasn't been as great as we thought because mm. it's already happening in society. So yeah. if you get in England a quarter of a million people who have volunteered to be helpers, then your need for the church being what we do actually is mitigated and taken away. So the church has to be flexible. And rather than assume we know what society needs and wants, we have mm. to be the ones to say, we're here to help, but maybe here are some other things that we can do as well. Great. So going back, join, joining what you've just said and what you said earlier on, what, how can you assess growth in 
our lives when you marry up what you just said there along with you were talking earlier about this idea of repentance you know what are we actually repenting of and what are we being transformed into i think i'd agree and again it sounds ironic for somebody who leads the largest numerically largest church in scotland um that actually numerical growth is only one indicator of growth um jesus was very good at attracting crowds um but he made a distinction between people who were listeners people who were followers and then people who were disciples mm. and there's that moment which has always stayed with me in john chapter six where you know they say this is a really hard teaching who can accept it and it says from that time on many people left jesus and didn't follow him mm. and you don't find jesus going after them and saying i didn't mean it um he just <laughs> he just lets them go and in fact he turns to his you know his followers is his 70 or his 12 and says well are you going to leave me also and the reply is where else can we go you have the words of eternal life so i think it's making a distinction between um the crowd and the congregation or an audience as opposed to followers and disciples and committed um and i think what we need to measure in terms of growth is not so much and again this we've used false metrics i think particularly in the evangelical part of the church we've measured spirituality by, by how long sermons are um by how well people know the bible uh, by how long people can pray for how many prayer meetings people attend um, how often people come to church when if you look at the teaching of jesus which again is ironic for the evangelical church um we go by metrics that Jesus didn't use. So Jesus's metrics for whether you are growing as his follower, it seems to me are more around the fruit of the spirit. So it's, yes. am I more loving? Am I more joyful? Am I a kinder, more gracious, more compassionate, more patient person than mm. I was 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago? I came across a lovely quote from Dallas Willard. Um, who defined discipleship as discovering the life that Jesus would live if he was you. So yeah. discipleship is about discovering who Jesus would be if he was living my life. So what, mm. you know, it is that old cliche of what would Jesus do, but it, it isn't just what would Jesus do, but how would Jesus react? How would Jesus respond if the character of Jesus is being formed more fully in me and if i'm being transformed from one degree of glory to another yeah and if if the whole aim of the christian faith is a spiritual transformation then it means that the character the person of jesus has mm. to be becoming formed more fully in who i am and and that's the mark of what it means to be a mature disciple of christ yeah. So I become more aware of who I am, more aware of who I'm not, which is where repentance fits in. And, mm. I, and I get let go of my self-reliance and my any spiritual pride that I might have um, because it's all about grace. And in the dynamics of Romans 6, 7 and 8, 
I allow the life of the spirit to be at work rather than the, the, the law, uh, which only brings about guilt and condemnation. But if I know I'm forgiven, uh, again, in the words of um, one particular writer, Dan Allender, that the worst has been told about me, and yet I am still loved. Well, if the worst has been told about me, and yet I am still loved, then I'm free to fail. And I'm free to live in the light of that forgiveness, not sinning more that grace should abound, but actually it's, it's, set, it's setting off on a different path from a different starting place because at the end of the day, it's about a relationship. Um, yeah. So, and I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think, I think something, some sort of bells go off of me in, in a lot of what we've been talking about as to, you know, growth isn't just about consumerism if i consume this and have more and do more it you know that there's that biblical theological understanding of what it is to be in union with christ and if we properly live in union with christ we will live as christ um, lives and we will embody that truth we won't just sort of know about it but we'll embody it and it's not like you know that game where's wally where you've got to find wally i think spiritually sometimes it's a little bit like you know where's jesus where's the Holy Spirit? And we spend a lot of time looking for where Jesus is or the Holy Spirit is, but actually amazingly, and you know, in a mystical way, we have that union with Christ, but it's actually that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that makes that more of a reality to us, isn't it? Yeah, as we, absolutely. As we go on and we, we grow in our walk with Christ. And, and I think that is possibly what's happening to the church as in any crisis, things are stripped away um, yeah. and pe the, who the reality of who people really are is exposed. That, that was, has been one of the fascinating things for me mm. uh, to observe as we went into this crisis, people becoming more extreme examples of who they really are. So their mm. natural inclinations come even more to the fore in all sorts of different ways. Um, and they respond and react very differently. Uh, whether it's to grief, whether it's to change, whether it's to pressure, whether it's to uncertainty, whether it's to fear or anxiety. Um, people's responses and reactions have been a constant surprise to me. And, and one of the most stressful things, I think, mm. if I'm honest, that I've had to manage as a, as a leader is managing other people's responses. But at the same time, as, as, as veneers are stripped away individually and corporately, then who we really are as individuals and as churches is then revealed. And, mm. and that has to be, you know, if my people humble themselves, then gosh, you know, this is a, a time of, of humbling. Um, mm. I, I think back six or seven weeks ago, and um, I'd actually started um, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, <laughs> a few days before we went into lockdown and, and all of us you didn't speed read it by well, any chance it, it seemed a bit superfluous <laughs> really because that, I mean, it was a fairly ruthless elimination of hurry um but it was all of a sudden reading that book you know eight days later from when i started it was a totally different experience mm. because one minute i was in the in the hurry and all of a sudden there was no hurry 
Now, there was a different yeah. type of hurry uh, to do different types of things. And the first two or three weeks were quite frenetic um, of, of readjustment and recalibration. But now, where life has settled into a very different rhythm, and it is a slower rhythm, it's, I mean, it's weird for me, um, after 30 years, to have Sundays off. Mm. Um, Amen. It's, it's bizarre. <laughs> I mean, it really is very odd. Um, to be led in prayer by myself on a Sunday morning, watching the computer is slightly strange. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but but, but it's sitting with your family watching yourself. Well, yes, indeed. Um, yeah. But all of a sudden, who I am, and that was my experience, again, reflecting on the first two or three weeks, who I really am was was more exposed to me. And and again, if 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 as Christians we're supposed to come from a background and a faith tradition that believes in the validity of taking time out to draw uh, away from society and to be alone only with God. I remember, you know, many years ago reading Henry Nouwen's book, The Genesee yeah. Diary, that talks about the first time that he went on a sort of uh, solitary, silent retreat and the fear that he had mm. of what was going to be revealed from within him. You know, and Jesus said it, it's not, it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of a person uh, yeah. that makes them unclean. And, and thinking, okay, who really am I? And in those first two or three weeks, what was coming out of me? What was, what was being expressed from me? What was I communicating to other people? about what I believed was really important. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there'll be some Christians and there'll be some churches who will look back over the last three or four weeks and think, yeah, that, that wasn't healthy. Who, who I was, or indeed who I am, or who we are as a church, that's not healthy. That's not how God intended us to be. That's not how God wants us to live. That's not how God wants us to express our faith. Um, yeah. So I think it is that stripping away, that humbling, if, if we choose to allow that humility. And again, mm. I think all these things that we've been talking about this afternoon, they're all opportunities. And the question is whether we will take them or not. Um, yes, exactly. Are we, going to be, are we going to be attentive to it? I mean, I think, I was sharing in a sermon on Sunday that I was giving, you know, I think the irony for me, I was preaching on Psalm 46 about being still. And I think when there's so many things to do prior to a service now, it's actually preaching to myself. It's about being attentive to what God's saying in the midst of this as well. And, um, and there are things, of course, we've got, you know, we've got to, um, make a service happen we've got to make sure people are, are being cared for and uh, leading a staff team and what have you but it is that sense of um okay well for me that looks like going for a dog walk and listening to god on a dog walk but we've got to make those things happen still haven't we and maybe even more so yeah but it, it, some of the things that we make happen will be different things yeah, and maybe some, and the, again, the temptation when we get back to what we thought of as normal will be to slip back into old patterns. I mean, again, scripture is full of the fact that people have very short memories. 
Um, yeah, and no, absolutely. The people of Israel needed constantly, never mind the disciples of Jesus, who hadn't got a clue really during the three years that yeah. he was there. Um, they, 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 the people of God constantly need reminding, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is who you are in him. This is yeah. how he wants you to live. And, you know, for all the sort of... Um, opinion pieces and editorials written in some newspapers and on websites and vlogs and blogs. <laughs> I would not be surprised. We have a very short memory as a society. Yeah. Um, and the nature of the sinful nature of humanity is that we forget most sin happens because we either forget or deliberately choose not to remember who God is. And the mm. reality is that human beings hearts will not and have not changed um, and we would be as sinful after this pandemic as we were before. Um, and we can fool ourselves uh, into all sorts of, you know, pandemic resolutions. When this is over, life will be different. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it will. And that may yeah. mean that Liverpool may win the Premiership. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, it's strange, strange times, isn't it? When... Uh, when we can't finish the football season. Um, just, just as we close, uh, you, you were heading towards this. And I just want to, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I thought what you were saying there was, was helpful in terms of, you know, I suppose the heart being deceitful beyond all measure and in terms of we can return to old habits. But what, what would your desire be for the church to learn from this? Um, or is it is it that we just remind ourselves of the good news day by day is it too big a task to say well we're going to have a three-year plan now and the church is going to become holier like this i mean what what is it that you where you are right now would love to see people take on board i think it's it i think that the word that you used a few minutes ago is 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 very helpful it's about being attentive yeah so it's about listening to what the spirit of God is saying. So not to rush back into anything actually, um, but to take some time to process um, what, what God has been saying during before, during and after the pandemic. What does it reveal about the nature of church life? What does it reveal about some of the things that we thought were really important that actually during the coronavirus pandemic, we realized weren't important. Um, and therefore, do we need to go back to them? Um, you know, in church life in particular, you get caught up in minutiae um, and part, sometimes the, the job as the, the senior pastor is to manage other people's minutiae. Um, but what they think is really important, actually in the long run, isn't really important. So not to lose, don't, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, don't get too caught up in church meetings. Um, Jesus didn't say I've come that you might have meetings and have them in abundance because strangely the church of God is still existing without meetings. Um, yeah, funny that. Well, we, he did, I think he probably said I've come that you might have zoom meetings and have them in abundance. <laughs> um, but that's a whole different topic. Um, but actually what, what really matters, what is mission critical? And to focus on the important, you know, it's the old cliches of if everything is important, nothing is. Well, what are the two or three things that each church can prioritize 
that God is calling them to be and do and focus mm. on those two or three things and, and let other people take care of the other stuff. Um, yeah. So don't be too, don't rush in with too ready an assessment. Take some time to listen and to pray, to seek God, to reflect mm. together, certainly in church leadership teams, what really matters. And if, you know, these, these three or four months have shown us what really matters, then why would we ignore those lessons? And, and to actually re- reflect upon this time as a gift. It's not, you know, mm. we could use this really profitably and well to reflect on who God is and who he's calling us to be rather mm. than dashing back into business as normal because the normal wasn't cutting it then. So why mm. do we think it's going to cut it in the future? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, and, and, that, and, that, and that relates to being humbled and, and yes. listening, doesn't it? And, yeah. Um, rather than okay well we just do what we've always been doing or we change it to these five things i think that this uh, we're a kind of strange stage at the minute i think we went off as as it was very kind of adrenaline rush and sort of right we need to do x y and z and we were in a kind of startup culture where we need to do five things and accelerate our learning and it seems to have leveled a wee bit now but i think at the same time it's there's just still uncertainty there isn't there yes absolutely um but the worst thing I think the worst thing we could do is either proclaim or prepare ourselves in our human strength for revival when we haven't undergone repentance and then renewal in anticipation of what God might do at some point in the future. Um, I think we're still in the very first early stages of that repentance, Mm. which hopefully under God's sovereignty could lead to a renewal of the church. And maybe part of that renewal is what really matters, what is really important. Uh, Mm. Maybe some rebuilding of relationships, um, maybe some restoration. Um, Mm. But it's certainly not to sort of engineer. I mean, again, there's always been this sort of this tension between revival and renewal as to whether it can be, um, Mm humanly manufactured and the fact is that again if you look at the old testament um god brought about renewal when the people of god attended to the things that really mattered which were things like social justice rather than personal piety yeah so there's a lot of things to think about there and what i forgot to ask you at the beginning because this is what we do on the little breakfast um and this in some ways sounds a little bit trivial but you know um the whole of life is to god's glory isn't it um as we close and um we think about um where we're going to go from here we've still got to keep eating and the shops are still having to supply the food what what would be your normal breakfast dave when you wake up in the morning on an average day um i uh have some yogurt with raspberry and some granola and some uh fresh raspberries that's my breakfast of choice at the moment has been for about uh four or five years now and what if you can have an absolute amazing you know an ideal breakfast that you couldn't have every day it was a bit of a treat what would you have oh that would have to be um pancakes or waffles with bacon and maple syrup that sounds good, actually. Yeah. I, I, last time I said fry up, but I hadn't thought about the 
the pancakes and the maple syrup one. That is a very good one. Um, well, that is, we, I mean, again, with hindsight, it's a, it's a great thing, but we managed to, to go traveling last autumn uh, and went to uh, the States for a holiday. And uh, I think I had one of the best breakfasts in my life in Washington, D.C. Uh, that was bacon and maple syrup and pancakes and waffles and creme fraiche and raspberries. And I, th I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, if that's not heretical, but it was pretty close. <laughs> and in fact, the breakfast may have taken me nearer that direction. It, it, uh, it may, have, may have quickened that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I, thought, I thought one potential breakfast you might say, because you, you live, if people don't know, uh, um, a place called Stockbridge in Edinburgh, you know, it's new town of Edinburgh. I thought it might have involved something like sort of some smashed avocado or something like that. But. No, I'm not a big fan of smashed avocados. No, I think it's a bit hyped, isn't it? Yeah. They no, it charge is. a lot of money for it. And what is it? Slimy, tasteless stuff. You said that. I couldn't possibly comment. You're going to get a reaction from that now. <laughs> We've spoken all about you know, humbling ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We've spoken about humbling ourselves and repenting and seeking God. And then we get more comments about the avocado now than we want anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the way it goes. I think it's also, I'm not a great guacamole fan, so um, that's where the avocados okay. don't do it for me. Yeah, interesting, that, yeah. Um, well, it certainly seems to be a big in thing, doesn't it? But, you know, you never know. In a time of change, we might come round to it. Yeah, well, I'm pushing for the bacon and uh, maple syrup and pancakes. <laughs> bacon, and bacon and maple syrup, there you go. So if you're listening to that and you want to bless uh, your pastor or rector, then, you know, bacon and maple syrup and pancakes drop it off on his doorstep in the lockdown and uh, he'll be a very happy man <laughs> unless you think you're trying to kill him <laughs> <laughs> well you can read that both ways can you? <laughs> yeah indeed well thanks so much uh, for joining us on the little breakfast i mean it would be a little one anyway it wouldn't be a big portion because this is not the big breakfast that we normally have when we're not in lockdown and we we gather and we have food and we uh have uh a talk and a Q&A but um, thanks so much for joining me on here David it's been really helpful and a lot to chew on uh, as people have their avocado or their bacon or their cocoa pops or whatever it is um, thanks again for joining me absolute pleasure okay great thanks Steve